beautiful backyard with an array of vegetables and fruit trees and pawpaw trees and moving towards some sort of sustainability, self-sustainability. Quadacarpa, Brazilian cherry. Passion fruit. So tell us, yeah, tell us about your home, tell us about your everything, Howie, your art, your inspirations, your conservation efforts. Well, I'm another urban refugee, you know, just that it was 22 years or 23 years ago I got out of uh, living in Bondi and I, I discovered uh, this area, north, the northern end of Byron, in the process of actually going up as much as I could to the dolphins at Fingal Head, spending time swimming with them. I didn't actually come directly to Byron in those days, I just used to go to Fingal Head and back to Sydney, but in the, found this little pocket of paradise. Yeah, I decided, yep, that's what I want. I've had enough of... I love Sydney. I think it's a great city and, and, and Bondo Beach, fantastic. And But I had come back from living in Europe and sort of in, in other parts of the world, of course, and seen the impacts of humans on the marine environment. Always had a love of the ocean. And at Bondi, I was triggered by the rafts of cigarette butts in the gutters and the fact that people using Bondi Beach as an ashtray triggered me back to an experience I had in 1977 when I was a lot younger, living on Waiheke Island, New Zealand, and there was a whale stranding over in the Manukau Harbour of Auckland where 256 false killer whales came in because of a pregnant mother who happened to choose a wrong a choice of four channels. She chose the wrong one and travelled way down deep into the uh, harbour, which when the tide turned goes out in almost instantly five miles and turns into a giant mud flat. And so this uh, massive... Uh, pot of, of um, whales were, were strewn all over the mud everywhere. I flew out with my girlfriend at the time, crossed to, to there to be part of uh, locals just trying to rescue these whales. And a lot of terrible things went down and ultimately the whole, the whole school of 250 whales was lost. And a lot of it was because of human stupidity. For example, the powers that be who finally came in saying, we're going to take control, were shooting the whales. Um, but also cutting their throats with butcher's knives and there was me like you know 18 or something screaming at them on the beach because uh having to ex- yelling at them that whales don't breathe through their throats they breathe through the top of their heads so they were like there was mad stuff going on and the other end of it there were people coming down and tire kicking the whales and you couldn't really tell which ones were alive or not because whales are conscious breathers and they, sh- they can shut down their breathing they and smokers came down and deliberately stubbed their cigarette butts out in the blowholes of these whales. And I was documenting all this, and I was so livid. And I was like, they not only pushed them in, but they really pushed them in aggressively and folded them over into the blowholes. And 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 my view of that was that I've always held this view that whales are conscious breathers who have never forgotten how to breathe, and humans are unconscious breathers who have forgotten how to breathe. And that's exemplified by uh, the, a male standing on the end of a harpoon ship, um, a terrestrial male, shooting the biggest woman on the planet in the back, blowing up her lungs and uh, shooting the biggest breather on deliberately in the back, the ultimate act of cowardice and an act of misogyny, um, killing the biggest woman, if you like, uh, the biggest breather on the planet. And it it's just defines this whole thing about being unconscious breathers. And so I just said to my girlfriend and to other people, one day I'm going to do something about this. And then it was like, I don't know, nearly 20 years later at Bondi, I just took action against it.
Was the a conservation movement, so this is back in the 70s, yeah, mid-70s, mid, mid 70s, was that, I guess that the genesis of the awareness and conscious raising around conservation, was that the genesis of the movement, of conservation movements then? Yeah. It, um, in Australia, I guess? I'd say internationally. It really started to become a movement uh, because, you know, I entered that whole process through um, having an epiphany about who whales and dolphins are, like sort of blinding epiphany, like... Oh my God! It's planet Ocean, not planet Earth. You know, like, isn't it great? We aren't the top. There's truth in that. There's more water than land. Yeah, but just Earth. just having that whole thing about, oh, who wants to be top dog on this planet? What a what a huge mantle! Isn't it cool not to be? Like, wouldn't it be better to say these dudes with bigger brains who have like living peaceably and in harmony with the environment and offering unconditional friendship are clearly a greater race of people. They've been here for so much longer and, and along with all these other interesting uh, people of the sea, the sharks, you know, um, and turtles. Turtles have been around 120 million years. Whales, 60 million, you know. And they're all highly intelligent creatures. Yeah, they are. They're, and th- there is something um, very special about whales and dolphins. They're, the empathy that we feel with them, it's shocking that we abuse that unconditional friendship they offer towards us with magnificent intelligence and good humour as well. So, As human beings, you know, we are a top-order species. We should really be using our skills and our intelligence to facilitate better living conditions and to enhance the survival and conditions of, like you said, these beautiful sea creatures, rather than destroying them, really, should be our role on the Earth. You know, pave a better path for creatures and sea creatures, but some humans have become very lost on that path. Yeah, well, I used to say that uh, we were very lucky there were some rocky outcrops on planet ocean that gave us the uh, ability to um, communicate and meet with whales and dolphins at the interface. The thing was that around that time I'd heard of Paul Watson ramming the Sierra, sinking, actually not sinking, but crippling a pirate whaling boat off the coast of Portugal and it was like, whoa, who is this guy? I know years later in London I had a photo of him and the the Aussie guy and the uh, other dude, the three of them who were on board when they did the ramming. He was like a bit of a hero, like putting his photo up, along with that other guy, Bruno Mansa, who was in the Borneo jungles fighting for the Pinan people there against the logging that was being done by, you know, Malaysia in, in Borneo. And I'll mention that's Paul Watson of the Sea Shepherd. Yeah, Paul Watson of Sea Shepherd. Like, I was aware of this growing movement for the ocean that was basically was spearheaded by Paul Watson the Sea Shepherd. It did start out originally with that first trip of Greenpeace in the uh, Phyllis McCormack or something, uh, the boat up to Amchatka against the nuclear testings up there in the Bering Sea. The other guy who was actually on the helm with Paul Watson on that trip, I just saw him in Brazil at the International Whaling Commission. His name's Rod Marining and he's always there and he's a lovely dude who's still going all these years later on fighting for whales and Jean-Paul Gouin was there who's the guy who put up for uh, the moratorium in 1982. So when was this a recent trip? Yeah just last September in in, uh, the International Whaling Commission was in Florinopolis. I went there on behalf of my group Surface for Cetaceans and I'm the rat bag who runs the the international protest against whaling outside. I 
that's my thing. I pull that together and so it was very successful. So tell us a little bit about your organisation and what you're doing now and you've obviously got a long history in, in conservation. But just before I was I was mentioning about um, taking action against cigarette butts in Bondi, reconnecting me to, to a, a younger period of my life in the 70s involved with whales and dolphins that kind of pulled me back into taking direct action and ultimately launching this campaign called um, Get Your Butts Off Our Beaches with Bob Carr, who was the Premier at the time in New South Wales. Um, I used all sorts of ways of doing things in that campaign, like making giant fake cigarette butts and laying them on the pathway, saying, how big does your butt have to be before it's litter? And direct confrontation of thousands of people and, and dragged into police stations and all sorts of hijinks and campaigns, you know, and then came up to Byron and brought the campaign up here. And it was up here in Byron where I was approached about going down to the International Whaling Commission in 2000 in Adelaide and running, I was being asked by International Fund for Animal Welfare if I could create a big banner through through Adelaide schools that would be used at the International Whaling Commission to represent the new proposal by New Zealand for um, the South Pacific to be a whale sanctuary. And I just went, whoa, Wales and South Pacific? I lived a lot of my, not a lot of my life, but I spent a lot of time uh, living right across the South Pacific as a, as a young sailor and I lived in Tahiti for three years as a painter and all that kind of thing and so South Pacific's a big part of you know it's a great love affair <laughs> a second home and I just went oh I'm the right person for this and drove my little car with my girlfriend down to Adelaide and took it through nine schools and it ended up being a banner that was 13 metres high by six metres wide and then I was asked if I could accompany it to Samoa for an intercessional meeting there of uh, ministers on the issue of the Pacific as a sanctuary and then through to London, taking it through there and dropping it at the, um, displaying it at the uh, next International Whaling Commission, which was in London. And, and ultimately got involved, that, that's, I found my feet there and it became more and more about how to rally people when I realised that no one was really there outside the International Whaling Commissions, um, not like they had been, say, in earlier days in the 70s and 80s. So that became my thing. And uh, along the way, living here um, through knowing Hannah Fraser, who was like the, the mermaid, the sort of, she's an internationally renowned mermaid. She was hanging out with Dave Rastovich, you know, ultimately when I met him, this um, vibrant young surfer. I was on my way to an international whaling commission in Sorrento in Italy and said to him, you know, Dave, is there any chance that, like, I said, I notice how the surf media never talks about the issue of, of dolphins being killed. Like, they're like, aren't they the surfers' best friends? Like, and, and whales, and there's nothing about the whaling or anything. And, and uh, he said, oh, isn't it over? Isn't whaling over? And I was like, no. And, and he said, people killing dolphins. And I was like, yes. And... So I said, couldn't you, with your celebrity status as a, as a surfer, um, could, could we combine to form some sort of group that would get the international surf media to speak about these issues and involve the entire international surfing community being a voice against it? And he was like, yeah. And once I showed him some stuff and all the rest of it, he was like, yeah, it's on. I'll meet you in Sereno. So he and Hannah... When was this? Which year? Uh, that would have been... Uh, 2000 and <laughs> something or other. <laughs> to, to, uh, I'm guessing, I think 2004. Uh, it was after the one in Berlin, I think. So 
Wales and Dolphins. 